Welcome everybody to another episode of uh, Gym Life Podcast uh, Athlete Interviews. Uh, I have a, uh, uh, a guy that's not unknown to the strength community. Uh, he's taking a little bit of time off and he's making a really big comeback. Took third at OSGs in 2009 or 2018 World Strongest Man. Uh, without any further ado, Aaron Fondry. Uh, thanks for joining me, Aaron. Hey, thanks for having me. Yeah, man. I tell you, we got introduced through a mutual friend of ours and one of your fellow U90 competitors and, and world champion, right? Uh, Nick O'Hare, he told me to give you a call because we have something in common right now. I just had my hip replaced and you actually had two of them replaced. Yes. So uh, unbeknownst to a lot of the community out there in Strongman, if they haven't already known, you're making one hell of a comeback and these U90s better get ready for you, it sounds like. <laughs> I'm doing the best I can, you know, just trying to every day be a little bit better than the day before. You know, it, it's not surprising uh to many that you know your work ethic and what you've done to this point to get to where you're at in the sport um you know has put you in a place now where you're making a huge comeback and it may surprise some to say that you've got a double hip replacement done and you're you're still going to compete at this high level but after talking to you on the phone the other day you're doing some pretty amazing things right now to kind of prepare yourself for that when nick had called me up he said hey joe you might want to call aaron up and talk to him about your hip replacement and I was thinking, yeah, okay, you know, that sounds great. I said, what's he doing? He says he's four weeks with a hip replacement and he's already squatting 400 pounds. Tell me a little bit about your background, Aaron, and, and what, what, what madness brought you to sort of this ideology that you have as far as, you know, your body's concerned and the type of things you're putting it through before we get kind of onto your origin story, because that's a bigger story to me right now, is you're probably making the most amazing comeback from bilateral hip replacement ever. And I told you the other day, you got to start recording this shit, man. You know, I'm just, I've always been someone that doesn't do well with downtime. Um, so my downtime when I got my hips done was basically me rehabbing as soon as I got home. Um, you know, as you know, they make you show that you can walk with a walker in the hospital before you can leave and all that good stuff. And as soon as I got home, First thing I did when I got through the door was, you know, move my walker 10 feet away from me and seeing, you know, if I could walk to it. And, you know, it was a little, little ugly, a little slow, you know, more of a shuffle than yeah. anything. Else. But, you know, got it done. Um, anytime I was sitting down, I was externally rotating, internally rotating as far as I could, you know, um, at different degrees of hip angles, 90 degrees standing. And I just kind of, I don't do well sitting down. So I have to be doing something all the time. You know, you said to me the other day, kind of jumping into this hip thing real quick before we get to kind of where you all started, you, you said some things to me the other day that were kind of uh, enlightening. And I shouldn't say enlightening, like, boy, that that's something crazy, but it makes complete sense when you're because you've got a background in sports physiology, right? Yes. And you, you so you, a lot of this, this sort of pathway that you're taking to rehab yourself is something that, you know, you've kind of educated yourself on pretty well leading up to this moment. But you said to me the other day that was pretty profound is that when you're dealing with a joint injury, it's really more about soft tissue than anything and keeping that blood pump in there. And you told me that you're not, you haven't really taken a day off from rehabbing that hip where a lot of the instruction you get from major hip replacement or joint replacement, because Western medicine dictates us that we're all the same, whether we're 30 or 80, that yeah. we all should just be sitting still trying to heal without moving. Uh, you, yeah. That's not the approach. No, not at all. I mean, you know, if your grandmother gets her hip replaced tomorrow and your, you know, your 16 year old brother gets it replaced tomorrow, they both go through the same rehab at the same physical therapy and it doesn't make any sense. Um, don't get me wrong. There are some extremely smart physical therapists out there and it's not their fault that it's like this. Um, they're kind of stuck to mandating, you know, X, Y, Z in this order. And that's how you do it. Um, I've never really conformed to any of that kind of stuff. And I've come back from a lot of injuries. In 2015, I snapped my kid fib uh, running a yoke at nationals uh, straight through. And I did my first powerlifting show three months afterwards. Um, I just, the body needs to move. Um, anybody who watches, you know, the elderly decline or something like that, you'll notice a trend where they just stop moving. Right. You know, they're not they're not getting up they're not moving blood flow is key i mean there's so many hormones there's so many healing you know you know just capabilities with your own blood flow and you know western medicine like you said it dictates you know these are the steps you take you sprain your ankle you need to take weight off it you need to add ice you need to do this 
but why you know the swelling is your body trying to heal what was damaged um don't get rid of swelling don't be afraid of swelling you know obviously if swelling impacts where you can no longer move or walk or you know something like that sure you can try to control it a little bit but you don't want to stop it um and i think so many people are so set on you know i get an injury i gotta ice it i get an injury it takes a ton of ibuprofen that's just masking you know a bullet it's putting a band-aid on a bullet wound yeah not doing you're just trying to control a little bit of a part of something, but it's not going to heal any faster. So you might as well get moving, get motion, get the joint articulating, you know, things like that are, are key to everything. Yeah. And within reason, because when you and I talked about it too, I'd mentioned, you would ask me, well, what was my biggest fear about moving? And I, my, it was like re-injuring, right? Cause that's in our head. Well, I'm going to re-injure it if I move. So I want to give it as much time as possible before I start putting it under any type of stress. But your your theory, or not your theory, but the your, the, the proof that you've uh, uh, put together to kind of resolve this injury and get it back to normal is really quite the opposite. Because how we perceive joints to operate, how we perceive things to function, it sometimes is more made up in our minds than it is in all actuality from the physiological standpoint and how it works. And what I mean by that, an example is I was worried about popping my hip out of joint squatting. And you told me, well, why would I worry about that when the joint itself has nothing to do with the squat movement? Uh, can you elaborate on that a little bit? So I, think, I think the big misconception is, you know, when they, you know, you, you got your hip joint or your shoulder joint or some kind of articulating joint like that. Um, it's it's a, a ball sitting in a socket. The ball and socket are not what's really holding everything together. It's the musculature around that. So when they do an anterior approach to a hip replacement, they don't cut through any muscles. They don't cut through any tendons. They don't cut through any ligaments. Um, they, they make soft tissue incision. They separate everything. I don't know if you've watched the surgery, but I mean, I, I watched the whole thing on YouTube afterwards where they hooks yeah. in and they just move everything out of the way. So you're creating, you know, damage to the, the soft tissues, damage to the muscles, but you're not cutting anything. Nothing needs to be repaired per se. So when they dislocate the hip, they cut off the head of the femur, they put everything back in there, the muscles are still intact and they're still doing the job that they need to do. Yes, you're going to have some inhibition. Uh, your body will shut things down on purpose to try to you know, protect you. Um, I'm sure you felt uh, as soon as you got it done, trying to bend over or grab anything off the floor was oh, next to impossible. Yeah. But that wasn't, that wasn't the joint limiting that. That was soft tissue damage. That was inflammation. That was inhibitions. That was you know a mixture of all of that where... You just got to keep moving and moving and moving. Your body will realize and start letting those inhibitions go once they realize that, you know, hey, we're, we're not going to fall apart when he bends, you know, past 90 degrees or um, just learning how to load the joint properly. You know, you know, if you're hip hinging really hard, you're driving that, you're driving the, the femoral head deep into the socket. You're pushing it to the back um, posteriorly where, you know, if you squat straight down, you know, the way the, the femur head is articulating and turning in the socket, it's meant to turn. That's why you get a little external rotation as you start to squat. Right. It's, it's moving that head and that joint into a proper position. And once your body kind of figures out that, hey, you know, it's, it's okay, your brain will start sending signals like, all right, we can get a little deeper. We can allow this to go a little bit. And the more blood flow, the more you can just get through that area. It's just cycling blood. It's carrying all that damaged tissue. It's bringing brand new oxygenated blood to the tissue that needs, you know, all the lymphocytes, everything in there that's going to help you heal. It, it basically is, is a fast track to get you moving faster. And the key to life is movement on yeah. you know, any animal on this planet. You know, and, and why I find this interesting, this conversation, because it really applies to well, everything we're talking about when we're healing as athletes, particularly in strongman, you know, there, we see injury. Injury is a very commonplace in our sport. It has been for a long time. I think more recently, though, there are guys like you out there and there's other guys with a ton of knowledge that are lending to this sort of new uh, uh, ideology that, you know, we can treat these injuries different and legitimately come back and perform. And you're a perfect example of that. How did this all start for you? When you got into, let's go back to uh, Aaron in high school. Where, where did your path down the strength sport start? And where did it lead to your education? Or what came first? I've always been an athlete ever since I was, you know, second, third grade. I was a three-sport athlete all the way through high school. Um, I always enjoyed the camaraderie, you know, the competition. 
I don't, I don't ever really feel, you know, fulfilled in life unless I'm competing in something. And I know that sounds silly because it's a hobby for a lot of us, it's, you know, we're not making a living doing this, but it's, it's how I identify myself and how I always have. I like to compete against people. Um, I compete against myself. I, I find things that, you know, normal day-to-day -day things that people do. I make competitions with myself out of nowhere. I don't even mean to do it. It just, you know, Hey, I, I did this yesterday and this time Why don't I do a little faster. Why don't I do a little more efficiently little things like that. Uh, went up to, went, went to college, uh, got my degree in exercise science. Um, you know, I was into, I was into strength sports, but nothing crazy. And once I left, I got in, you know, I was a wrestler my whole life. So I got into jujitsu, which led into MMA. I turned pro in MMA, um, and had a good run with that, but you know, that's a short lived career and everyone knows that. Yeah. So I ended up opening a gym. Um, had great success with it. It exploded, you know, it was awesome. And so I kind of gave up my MMA career so I could focus more on that. Left a little bit of a void in my life. So I picked up powerlifting, which I had great success with. I had a lot of fun with, uh, set some records and, you know, three lifts are great, yeah. but wanted a little more. Right. Um, a buddy of mine moved down here from uh, Maine, Ryan Largay. He's also a competitor in the sport. Um, he started coming to the gym I was I was working at at, the, at that time, and he said, you know, hey, why don't we uh, why don't we do some strongman stuff? I said, yeah, I don't know what that is, but sure, you know, he we just had a log, we had a sandbag, we had a couple Atlas stones, and he brought me to my first show, and ever since then, I I loved it. It's it's the best sport I've ever competed in. You know, the athleticism, right? I mean, that's the evolution of the sport. Uh, when yeah. you're talking about 105 guys and U90 guys, you're talking about arguably some of the best athletes in the world. I mean, you've competed yeah. against them. I don't have to tell you. I mean, you're at the top of that food chain as well, but these guys are incredibly dynamic. That kind of leads into your wheelhouse a bit, coming from MMA and coming from wrestling, uh, strength, and, strength and being able to move. Yeah. Uh, two pretty key components of strongman these days. The evolution of the sport has taken us to a whole different level of witnessing some incredible feats of strength. Uh, what was your first show and, uh, you know, how was that experience and what did you find out about yourself that made you change kind of your training philosophy a little bit because no doubt there was that moment oh yeah of course um you know i did a few few local shows vermont strongest new hampshire strongest maine strongest and i think one of the best things about the sport is the camaraderie you know guys you're competing against that if you get one more rep you're going to beat them but they're right there screaming at you you know yeah pull it pull it get that rep you know and it's it's something you don't find in other sports in mma other teams hate you uh your opponent doesn't like you yeah you know powerlifting you know that's it, they have their own camaraderie there but it's not quite as tight-knit that i've found anyways um as a strongman community and i absolutely love that some of the best guys i've ever met in my life are from this sport and you know people like nick nick's nick's fantastic you know yeah um and i have people that i've you network it's amazing you know i have so many connections in the sport you know that have helped me with my own training with training clients with you know even during this rehab you know I have, I have guys online who have physical therapist, Greg, who's also a competitor down in, I believe, Pennsylvania area. Um, and he's a physical therapist. And, you know, I kind of run things by him and I say, hey, you know, like, I'm feeling this. Is this okay to feel while I'm doing this? And he, oh, yep. Nope. That's completely normal. All right. I'll push right through that. Not a big deal. Um, it's just, it's all about networking. And I absolutely love that, that part of it. What did you find out when you started kind of coming up through the strongman ranks, even in those first shows, being the athlete that you already were, was there a, and, and having the background you do in sports physiology, you know, cause you understand body motion and how it works. Did you, did you carry a lot? I guess the question is when you first started doing those shows, were there some inadequacies? Were there things that you knew right away that you identified with maybe on a different level that you knew crossing over into the sport of strongman required you to change in your training, or did you feel like it was your wheelhouse already? I definitely found some, found some weaknesses quickly. Um, it's no secret that I'm definitely not an overhead presser. Any, any U90 can tell you that. Um, every show always starts with some overhead and I, yeah, I end up yeah. afterwards. And so I'm always like, well, you know, I'll sit mid pack in the press and then I'll make my comeback next. There you um, go. But it's, it's all definitely, you're, I feel like you're always finding things yeah. you can improve. I've always been fast at moving implements, but, you know, you break down the actual movement and you watch your foot strikes, you watch your gait, and you just pick up these minute details that like at the top level will be the difference between first and fifth. Yeah. In an event. You know, the local shows are fun. They're awesome. But 
you know, you can have a horrible event and the points are all over the place. You go to worlds or you go to nationals or you go to something like that and you miss one point and you leave a point on the table. That's the difference between first and third. Yeah. You know, that, that's, that's key. And if you don't have that minute detail and that, that, you know, level of detail that you're looking at stuff, you're not going to be at that top level. Yeah. And that's kind of what I was wondering with you specifically, because you have this different sort of look at it coming from the background you were in both educationally and sports wise that you're right. It's, it's, it's now become a sport of calculation and every facet of that movement, not just running with heavy weight, you're really breaking down that entire movement. I've heard this from, from guys like you and guys like Nick and guys like Nick Camby and guys like, you know, Aaron or, or Anthony Furman, you know, where it's all really about breaking down every facet of the movement. Now, when you're at that top level and having yeah. that, like you said, that point spread, boy, one fumble, one slip, one second is the difference between you being on the podium and you looking at everybody on the podium. Oh, yeah. And we've all had that. We've all had that event that we knew we were going to do and just something happened during, it. you know, sandbag throw is a great one. Like for some reason, I don't know why I'm good at that because we were practicing that for OSG the first time they did that. And I swear to God, I couldn't, I couldn't make a bag over the bar at the, to save my life and I was down there. And it was like one right after the next. And every time I hit a competition, it just, it seems a natural movement for me, but you miss one of those bags. Oh yeah. You know, that's, that's the difference between first and 10th now. Yeah. You know, it, it's crazy how fast stuff like that changes. Atlas stones. Uh, I think at OSG, uh, there was like less than two seconds that separated the first place from the third place at the last event in that. It's like, you know, one fumble, one, and you've lost huge placing. Yeah. Isn't that the great thing about the sport? I mean, really, it just provides opportunity for every top level competitor, whether you're not a great presser or maybe you're not a great deadlifter, that the opportunity exists not only with you, but how well your competition really performs at a minute level. Yeah, I, I, find, I find that and fascinating I, I just, about the sport. Well, I found a lot that coaching actually helps me a lot with that. You know, I, I have a lot of top level athletes underneath me. And just because I understand something doesn't mean that I can translate that to you. Yeah. So I need to find a way to give you different cues that, you know, don't work for me, but work for you may not work for the next person. So you're always trying to evolve in ways that you can train. And when you start breaking movements down for everyone else, you start figuring out little tiny things. You're like, well, every time they do that, they do better. And then I look back at my videos and I'm like, you know, I'm missing that little aspect too, even though I've never paid attention to that, change that around. And all of a sudden mine is even better. Yeah. Do you, do you, um, yeah, and that's a great point because having other people kind of look at what you're doing, because we get, we create these habits for ourselves when we're competing in strongman in particular, we create these habits, even though we may be a great presser, we sometimes are missing the opportunity to become a better presser because of just a simple, you know, something in the push press or something in your jerk. Or uh, do you have a coach? Do you have somebody or a group of people that, because uh, I know a lot of high level competitors like yourself and many that I've talked to, yeah, they, they all seem to have a coach as well. They don't generally go in anymore with that I'm coaching myself mindset. Fortunately, I'm one of the old school ones. So I coach myself. Yeah. Um, I have, I'll say that, you know, with, with a grain of salt because. I coach myself, but there's certain lifts that there's people that are way more proficient than I am at them. So, you know, in my overheads, I have five or six guys in my phone right now that when I'm doing my overheads today, something doesn't, I'll shoot them all the same video and say, you know, what, what's happening here? What am I doing wrong? So while I coach myself, I program for myself, you know, again, it's all about that networking where I have guys that are better than me at certain events that I go to and they help me and, you know, I'm kind of known as like the deadlift guy. When somebody has a deadlift issue, they come to me. So it's just that it's that back and forth between competitors, friends, where we're all trying to help each other all the time. Yeah. You know, it's, it's, and you're right. I mean, I guess when I went, if some of us maybe want that coach in our corner, but you're right, we all have coaches in our corner and these are our network friends and, and people are close confidants within the sport because sharing of knowledge is like you said in the beginning of this conversation, probably the single greatest thing about our sport is that nobody is selfish. Everybody's willing to push the next guy to push them. And I think you see that a lot, especially in a lot of these bigger competitions now, particularly in OSG and the U90 now that Anthony's doing and the 105s. I mean, not only are these great competitors, but they're all great friends. And I guess there's something like you said earlier about always trying to make yourself into a, you know, performing a competition even at home. 
I doubt yeah. highly that Aaron, you want to go into a show and want your competition to shit the bed. I'm assuming you want to give them, you want them all to give you their best. Yeah. No, you never want to win a contest because somebody was sick that day or someone didn't show up or, you know, they fumbled a lift that they would have gotten a hundred times out of a hundred. And that was just the one time you never want that. I want to beat somebody when they're at their best. Otherwise I don't feel like I actually want anything. Yeah. That seems to be the common, common uh, consensus across the board with everybody. Uh, who were some of the guys that you, uh, well, first let's get to the, the pro status, right. And, and your move to OSG. And as you kind of made it through some of these local shows, uh, where did you find yourself next? And when did you kind of get to that point where, you felt like, or somebody may have pointed it out to you, listen, Aaron, you're ready to move on to the next level. I mean, a lot of these other young guys coming up through the sport, you know, that's always on their mind. Like, where did you find that you felt like you were ready to make that move? I was hitting every local show I could with, you know, we live in Vermont, so it's kind of a secluded state up here. So I was traveling to New York, Pennsylvania, Massachusetts, New Hampshire, Maine, but they were all fairly small shows. I mean, you, you know, maybe a couple mid-level shows, nothing big, you know, I decided one year that I was like, you know what, I'm just, I'm going to go to NAS nationals. And that's what I did. I just booked a trip and I said, you know, I may, I'd be happy placing top 10. This would be so much fun. I got down there, did really well. I ended up second place in my first nationals. Um, and that's where I felt like, you know, I, I, I might actually be able to do something with this. You know, when you get to see some of the best guys in the country and you've never gone against them and yeah. you stack up against them on your first try I was like I, you know I, I feel like this is something that I can take now and I can I can go further with this and I met a lot of really good people in my first nationals um I know you kind of touched on the subject you know who I met who I might have looked up to and I always yeah. said like you know Chase Carnes was way back in the day where he was a dominant U90 he was a guy that you know wrote for elite uh, FTS and he had a bunch of you know YouTube videos and and when I went there I remember this clear as day. I went down to breakfast really early. Um, and he was a guy I always watched and read his articles and I was actually competing against him. And we were the first two at breakfast before they opened and we were standing outside before they opened the door and we started talking. He goes, Hey, you, you want to grab some breakfast together? And I was like, wow, you know, this is, this is great. You know, I've read this guy's articles for years and you know, you sit down across these people and you realize they're people and they're nice. They're fun. Like they enjoy helping people. And, and that's where I, you know, you really learn to love this sport. Yeah. Did you, did, when you found, so your first show after nationals, um, you did the, uh, if I'm not mistaken, you did some overseas traveling as well. Right. And was that the uh, strongman's champions league? Yes. Uh, SEO. And I found that, you know, any, anywhere you go, even the international competitors are all pretty cool. I mean, every show is going to have that one guy that's kind sure. of a dick for the most part, even international competitors are a ton of fun to hang out with and you get to learn their culture. You get to learn, you know, a lot of stuff about, the way other people train that aren't just your normal group of people. Yeah. And I think that's pick up a lot of big tips. You know, you talk to somebody who's an awesome presser, an awesome deadlifter overseas, and you know, they do something completely different, a completely different method, whether it's, you know, they love the, the French contrast method or, you know, they, the way that they program is just completely different. Their volume is different. You know, they, they focus on frequency over volume or, you know, they never hit intensity above 90% until they peak or just random things here and there. And you're like, it makes you think and you're like, wow, you know, there's not one way to do this. Yeah. And especially the guy with your background and, and, and knowing the programming aspect of it, it's, it's like you're, uh, yeah, it's, there's just a wealth of knowledge. It's like reading the next novel or reading the next book, you know, it's just constantly adding on to that arsenal of thoughts that you have kind of programming yourself. Cause as good as you are, and as good as a lot of the greater, uh, the great uh, strongman athletes out there that are in the top 1%, you, there's those brick walls you hit, I'm sure, uh, that are just oh. frustrating as all hell. Yep. You know, it makes no difference whether you're top level, bottom level, mid level, you're going to run into problems. You're going to run into injuries. You're going to run into things that you need to change so that you can continue to train. And I think as soon to be a good coach, you have to be learning all the time. You know, I've been doing this for 12 years. I have dual bachelor's degree. I have lots of knowledge, but I'm always learning every, every week I try to learn something new or a different way to do something or, you know, a better way to help myself or my clients. Um, and if you're not doing that, you're not going to be a good athlete yourself because you find things while you're coaching people to make yourself better too. 
Well, it's certainly a common denominator through the great, through the better athletes in the sport. There's no doubt about it. And if it's a PSA to every young guy out there watching this video or listening or, or making their way through the sport, I mean, there's something to be said about that, that, that common denominator that makes all of these champions champions. It's by, it's not any secret, you know, it's not some, you know, I get it. Sometimes people want to say genetics and this and that, but the truth is, you know, time in can put you at the top and understanding, learning and progressing. And I think you're a perfect example of that. When you got, uh, when you started having your major hip problems, right? Because now we're getting into this comeback and you, you had told me about, and I'll have you explain exactly what it was and some of the things you were training through. But one of the things that I found interesting when I was talking to you was you really trained and performed and, and, and competed with your hip problems pretty much right up to surgery. I mean, you weren't fucking around. I mean, you were, you were, you were in there training and competing and basically not walking for two or three days because your hips hurt so bad. Um, can you kind of explain that progression and what the diagnosis was and what your thought was immediately when you were basically told, listen, man, you, you're done. I mean, you, you're going to, I'm sure that moment with that doctor, that orthopedic was like, you, you just can't do this anymore. We got to take care of business here. What were, what happened? What was the diagnosis? And what were your thoughts kind of at that moment? Sure. Um, so I've been dealing with, you know, it, it started really slowly. And, and I kind of thought when I first started that, you know, oh, it's just a tight psoas or, you know, my glutes just, to, you know, I pulled a muscle. Something's weird today. It just started feeling like, you know, the joint was just really achy all the time. And you learn to push through it because half the time you're peaking for something and joints hurt. I mean, that's right. a normal. Um, it got so bad. I've been dealing with this for probably about three years, at least, at least to the level that I am where, you know, it got so bad that I do a heavy deadlift day or I work on my Atlas stones and the next two days I couldn't get up off the couch without help. Or, you know, a walk was more of a shuffle than anything else because I just couldn't lift my leg up, you know, to do anything. And basically just trying to recover well enough so that the next time I train, I could continue to do, to do right. that. Yeah. Um, and I finally broke down and was like, you know what? I, I need to get this looked at. Like something's wrong. It's not, it's, it's not a small issue anymore. Um, ended up getting some imaging done. Um, found out I had no articular cartilage left. And uh, my surgeon that actually did my surgery, he said, I've never seen anything like this before. He said, I've literally sent this off to colleagues because there's nothing in there. He said, you are bone on bone everywhere. You don't have any labrums left. Um, he said, there's nothing. He said, I'm honestly not sure how you're walking still. Right. And, you know, it, I've heard that question a lot. Like how, how do you continue to do this? And I don't know. I, I mean, it sucks, but what am I going to do? Sit at home and cry every night and not go anywhere. It wasn't going to fix it. So just kept pushing through what I wanted to do. I definitely had to change my training a lot, you know, um, learning to squat with heel wedges only so that I could, you know, get a better or less of an angle on my hip joint, but more on my knees, you know, just small little changes here and there, changing my, my deadlift stance slightly just to take a little pressure off. Um, you know, there were some exercises I used to love to do and I had to cut them out of my training programs just because, you know, that's the way it was. Yeah. Um, and I actually ended up scheduling my surgery perfectly so that the qualifier for this pro U90 show for the clash, um, there were three, there were three stages for those that don't know it was, you know, three weeks of one event, two events, three events. And I knew the overhead event was going to be iffy for me and that placed me pretty low. Um, but I knew they had a deadlift event next, which always is my wheelhouse. And I remember that day clear as hell. It was, it was bad. I, I tried a, a few different times and was missing weights that I was not, I shouldn't be missing. Um, ended up getting 675 for five reps on an axle. And I had to take about a week where oh, <laughs> everything wise was sitting down. <laughs> yeah, geez. And then they had the sandbag over shoulder. And that was one of the, the things I hadn't been able to do for almost a year was pick a sandbag off the ground. And I knew my surgery was the week after. And I said, you know what? I can't do any worse. If it, if it accidentally, yeah. you know, makes yeah. something way worse, it's getting fixed next week. So yeah. I ended up doing really well in that event as well, which bumped me in and to the top 10 to qualify me for, you know, that pro show. And that's, that's all I wanted. So once I got that, I felt real good about the surgery. 
You know, it's funny you, you, you mentioned picking up a sandbag. Bro, I couldn't tie my fucking shoe for a year. The thing about I'll grabbing tell you, my... a sock on in the morning was like, I, I'd open it up and then throw my foot into it and hope that I made it. Yeah, yeah. It's crazy. For those of you out there listening to this and we're talking about these hip, this hip issues, I mean, it's, it's so disabilitating. I mean, I get it. You know, I'm hoping other people get it. What you went through with two hips, not just one, because there were things I just couldn't do anymore. And you saying... And I relate, you're training, you're changing your training to accommodate your pain, uh, which is crazy. You know, it just, I know looking back on it, you just have to be going, oh my God, I, I can't believe I was doing those things just to try to keep myself upright and compete. But you did. And that's just the kind of person you are. And I am, and a lot of guys are, we work right through the pain. But when you knew you had to get that hip replacement done by the sounds of it, you had zero doubt in your mind you were making this comeback. I mean, it, it never crossed your mind, did it? I'd like to say it never crossed my mind, but you know, we all have that moment where it's like, you know, I, I don't know, like I'm going to do everything I can, but I don't know. And then that turned into, I just have to do it. I'll find a way to come back from this. And like I said, the, the biggest problem with rehab for people is they're so uneducated about what to yeah. do. And that, that's not their fault. You know, it's not the individual's fault. It's society's fault. It's the way that we're taught things. You know, anytime I posted a video or just, you know, I, I took a walk across the gym where I squatted and posted that video on my stories. And I got, a, you know, I got a hundred messages, people being like, be careful, you know, right. don't push yourself too hard. And, you know, I don't, I don't want that negativity. Like I get, I get the people are trying to help, but nothing pisses me off more than people telling me what, what they think I should do when they don't have any knowledge. They don't have any background. They don't have any idea what's going on. They just, you know, you had a hip replaced, so you need to be careful. Right. What do I need to be careful about? You know, I, I need to move. I, the, the doctors want you to move. Yeah. So I did a little more movement than normal. And that's, I, I listened to my body too, you know, it's. Yeah. It changed my did. life. I'll be honest with you. Talking to you the other day, you know, after Nick said, call Aaron up, you need to call Aaron. Cause he knew I was going through this hip stuff. And when I called you up, I got off the phone. I was excited. My wife came home from work and I said, I can do, this. I said, holy fuck. I think I can do this. I mean, it that's was, awesome. It was that moment, right? Because I'm like, listen, what you said to me made complete sense. It was, again, because people think and they're programmed to think that these type of injuries, you just can't come back from. You just can't get through this rehab the right way. And there's all these variables that are going to be roadblocks. And the truth is, you just got to start moving and, and you know, getting the obviously in a smart way. And you did that. You were surrounded by people who, like you mentioned, your walk and how you videotaped your walk and your one buddy looked at your heel to toe and even that, honestly, I've been doing that for the last two days. I can tell you right now, it's, it's, it's made a world of a difference. So, and then my, my bridges, bro, all night long while I'm sleeping or I mean, all day long, man, I'm doing bridges. So yeah, thank you for that. But so you, you, you started this comeback and I'm sure you've got some U90 guys out there going, fuck Aaron's back. Uh, that's gotta be fun. Right? Yeah. I, I just, I love this sport. I love the way the way it feels when you compete. I love going against the top guys in the world. You know, it's the same top guys, you know, a few guys here and there changing it out, but there's been the top few of us there for years. And I, I just love going to compete against them. I love, you know, getting the camaraderie, going out to eat, you know, staying in the Airbnbs with your competitors. Like I love it. And I knew there was no doubt in my mind I was coming back at some point. I just didn't know when. And I knew that I just had to, I had to listen to how my body felt. You know, my, my surgeon told me, you know, you'll, you'll probably never be able to squat you know, to parallel with any weight on your back. And as soon as people say stuff to me, it's like a challenge. Yeah. You know, I'm, I'm going to do that now. Now you shouldn't have said that because now I'm going to do that. Yeah. You know, four days after my surgery, I was already sitting at the bottom of a squat, obviously just body weight, yeah. but I made myself get there. You know, I, I put a band from a ring at the gym, put it around my, my upper body, held on to it and squatted as deep as I could get every day. I took a video of it. And I have, you know, a set point behind me where I was like, okay, the, the camera's at this height. I made it to that notch on the wall. Perfect. Tomorrow, I'm going to make it two more inches. You know, by the end of tomorrow, I feel like I got a few more inches once I warm up. So after I work out, I'm going to do it again. And that was what my day was. In between clients, I have about 10 minutes, you know, and I was squatting. I was working on internal, external, you know, adduction, abduction, uh, isometric, tons of isometrics. I'm a huge believer in isometrics. And that comes, you know, from actual training and rehab yeah now, if you can't do something you can still squeeze that muscle 
you know, while I'm sitting there with a client, you know, counting the reps, helping change their form, I'm squeezing my glutes as hard as I can. Or I, I have this block that I carry with me. It's basically a yoga block, putting it between my legs and working my adductors as hard as I can. And I mean, I want to break that block. Yeah. And each day I would go a little longer, a little longer, a little longer, where, you know, I was accumulating over an hour a day, you know, over the course of the day. And right. It's, it's easy, easy to do, you know, you don't, it doesn't take any time. I was sitting there doing nothing anyways. So I might as well do something. Well, you know, again, one thing you said to me that was pretty profound and, and I was finding myself like hitting those thresholds of, of discomfort. And we're always kind of programmed to think that when our body says it's discomfort and I get it from training, we still work past that, work past that. But we tend to forget about that with injuries, uh, you know, because we, you and I discussed this a couple of days ago. I would get down to that squat and I'd start squatting into it, hit that discomfort and go, okay, well, I guess that's enough for the day because an injury I was treating different than, than a, than a program. Right. And, and in all actuality, you told me, well, don't treat it like that. You know, go past that point and don't stop just because your body's telling you to, because an injury should be treated no differently. Um, I found a lot of truth in that, especially in the last couple of days, as I'm watching this progression in two days, get further than I got in the first eight weeks, which is crazy. It's amazing what your body will do. Like the inhibitions from your brain to your muscles to to try to protect your body are there. They're there for a reason. Um, And they're a good thing to have, but you also need to know when to test those limits and just push them a little bit. And when your body starts to realize like, hey, I can actually get lower than this. And once you spend a little time down there, like getting into my deepest squat was, it was uncomfortable as hell the first time I did it. I just sat there. There was nothing major about it. I put some heel wedges underneath me and I sat there and I let myself move around in that spot, feel everything. Like I want to feel everything. I want to know, Oh, well, when I I move to the right a little bit, I get this weird twinge. So I need to be careful of that little spot, but the rest of it's fine. Kind of like the first to go deadlift. I used a trap bar because a little bit higher pick. Yep. Um, It wasn't a, a pole. It was, you know, a straighter pull line on my center of mass. So I figured that would be better. And from the very bottom, it, it, I get this weird little sharp pain every time I pulled from the bottom. So I said, all right, well, that's fine. I'll raise this up three more inches. I can load more weight now because now I'm in that mid range. There's no end range, you know, where I'm, where I'm loading that joint. So I got to go even heavier and I stayed out of that pain zone, but I stayed in that discomfort zone. Gotcha. Okay. Yeah. To be clear then there, there are those pain points that that yes. sharp pain that's that okay this is you stop here how has it been since have you been, able, have you been it, able to work back into that that position or has that resolved a little bit for you yeah, most definitely i i honestly have no pain anymore anywhere there's certain you know certain movements where if i'm not paying attention you know i go to i went to get out of my truck the other day and we got a bunch of ice and just you know my foot slipped out like six yeah. inches it wasn't even anything major but just that quick and it was like oh that hurt like that yeah. was pain yeah but you know it's it's a matter of just bracing properly um staying in the ranges that i i like discomfort i like to make things uncomfortable on purpose you know and as long as you're not in pain push through it yeah what about your what about your um your so we, statically you're coming back statically you're making these gains in your squat and your deadlift in particular that you and i discussed that, that are two big components of the sport of course yeah. What about your, what about your mobility? Um, uh, you know, that would be my, I guess the final sort of, you know, the icing on the cake, if you will, to be able to compete with your mobility. How, how, what are you doing for that? And there's one thing, and maybe you can help me with this because I can't remember the exact name of it. When you take a hip replacement, they don't want you to cross your legs over or to externally yeah. rotate. Um, are you working with that? Are you worried about that in your mobility? And what are you doing right now in your mobility? So like, like we talked about before, knowing how the joint works is key. So like anybody that gets this done should take, you know, take an hour and understand all the muscles of this surround your hip, your glutes, you know, you got your glute med, your glute max, your glute min, you got your TFL, you got your piriformis, you got your hip flexors, you got your quads, you got your rec fem, which acts as a quad and a hip flexor, you know, you know, knee, knee extender and a hip flexor. So you got to understand how all of these muscles work synergistically together. I mean, everybody knows how your glutes work. Everybody knows how your stands. Like we, we understand that, but you got to delve a little bit deeper and understand that like, you know, something as simple as your rec fem, which is a quad, you know, a muscle in the quad, right? Um, it extends the knee. 
but it also flexes the hip joint. So when you're squatting, getting down to a squat position, you're lengthening it on one end and shortening it on the other end. So the length tension never really changes. It's always the same length. And right. that's what people don't understand. So that, that kind of ties into a little bit more of a broad look at how the body works, but you got to understand how the joint angles work too. So if you're standing fully and you go into external rotation, that's a lot of glute med making that work, right? Um, but when you sit down and you do, you know, some abduction, an abduction on, on the leg, that is more piriformis. I mean, obviously you're using your glute med, but that's more piriformis. So you got to train both of those ranges at that joint angle. Otherwise you're not really maximizing everything down there. Gotcha. So gotcha. Learning to do, uh, like you said, mobility was key. Um, Internal external rotation were my two big ones that I started with right away that, you know, the night of surgery, I was sitting there in my chair, making sure that, you know, my legs were extended and I was externally rotating to my active end range. And then I would hold, hold an isometric as hard as I could. And I'd go to the other leg to give that leg a break. And I'd come back and I'd do, you know, four or five sets of each one that I'd work on my internal rotation, same thing. And you have active and passive as well. So you can also force yourself into that position where your body's relaxed, where you're actually manipulating the joint without using your, your own musculature. And that's important as well. You know, an hour on Google learning how these muscles work for anybody that's about to have a surgery like this would answer a ton of questions for people where, you know, they can help themselves in their own rehab. Well, and not only that, I mean, we're talking about because you and I have a commonality in this and this hip replacement right now. And honestly, we can both probably say we know 10 guys right now that are dealing with hip issues in the strongman community. Cause let's face it, what we do or what we've done had direct impact on our hips, but in large part of much of that, not only for us guys that have been in the sport for a long time, but these new guys. Now this information is vital because yes. the things you're talking about, whether you're getting a hip replacement or some type of joint issue or not is, is imperative to your training success and your performance. All these little intangibles you just talked about in rehab, people should be doing those right now and avoiding this complication in the future, right? You hit the nail on the head on that one. And that, that's, that's the hard part is, you know, we look at prehab as like the basic, the basic warmups everybody knows. Everybody knows how to warm a muscle group up. And, you know, if, if you're in the strength world, you know how to do that. The problem is, is that there's these, you know, there, there's musculature that no one uses. So here's a shifting a little bit, but like when I broke my, my tip fib, um, I developed a bunch of shin splints and I was like, you know, they're shin splints push through it. So I kept running the yoke harder and heavier, harder and heavier. And those turned into micro fractures and I had no idea. So I'm at nationals running down with a yoke on my back, you know, 750 on my back. And all of a sudden my leg snaps in half. And now with all the knowledge I have, I look back and I said, you know, why have I never been working my tibialis? Why yeah. have I never been working my calves more directly not in like a hypertrophy sense like you're trying to grow for a bodybuilding show but like why am I working the end ranges of my my joint which in that that term would be my ankle you know yeah how many people do you know know how to work their, their tibialis anterior nobody that I know yeah. and, and that's 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 a problem you know ever since then I've been building these these tib raises that I, I weld and fabricate a lot of my own equipment and I try to tell people, you know, you need to do this. You know, how many people do you know that have run a yoke or farmers and they get shin splints? Oh, I can name all 50. Sure. Yeah. Same thing with, with hips. Like how many times is somebody's hips hurt and this, that, but how many times are those people working their hip flexors, you know, doing direct hip flexor work? Yeah. It's no fun. Nobody wants to do it because it's no fun. Boring. It's boring as shit. Yeah. 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 It, it, it's, it's, it's so true. And I think, and in all fairness, there's a good number of guys now that are coming along that have educated themselves that are doing the right things. And generally you see these guys in performance because you know who they are. These are the guys that are the constant and consistent performers on top of the sport. It's not because they're supermen and they don't ever get injured. It's they're doing the prehab to prevent the injury from happening. Uh, so they're able to compete and you see them year in and year out. These are the guys that are doing three, four, five, six contests a year. And a lot of us or some guys would go, how the hell are these guys doing this? They must be all drugged up and doing this and doing that. Of course, never any credit to really what the key component is. And that's the prehab of these muscles, all these little intangibles to get them going in the right direction. Yep. And generally, the, the worst part is, is by the time you realize this, it's a little too late. I mean, it's right. not too late to start. I mean, it's never too late to start. But 
if you had known and you had been doing this to begin with, awesome. How many guys work with an axle and they end up getting, you know, epicondylitis in their elbow, you know, tennis elbow, golfer's elbow, and it, it's, it's killer. Yeah. Something as simple as working your extensors. You know, I have a, a, you know, the very small, everybody knows what they are, the things that go over your fingers yeah. and you just work extensors. I have those in my truck. Anytime I'm driving around, I just sit there because I'm not doing anything else. That solved that problem for me where anytime I touched an axle for more than two weeks, I couldn't even write with a pen because it hurt so bad. Yeah. It's those tiny little things that like, I wish that was more out there and people understood a little bit better. Aaron, it sounds to me as if you should be writing a book right now for the strongman community. Honestly, I mean, seriously, it would probably be a bestseller within our community because you're right. There's not a lot of this information in one place. It takes somebody that's knowledge hungry like you and are familiar with the body and have been through a lot of these issues and went to school for it. You can you can talk to this stuff like you're talking about, you know, a football game. It's not a big deal for you like it would be for a lot of people. I think that's a great idea. Just, uh, you know, give me a little credit in the book when you write it. Well, I'll throw you I'll throw you a couple pages in the, in the first yeah. chapter. there. To- yeah. Throw yeah. me in the hip chapter. OK, yeah. Throw yeah. me in the hip chapter because I'm I'm going to use your methodology uh, to make my comeback as well. And I, I couldn't be more excited about it. So moving forward, man, you're. You're uh, once again, I want to I want to say this to all the listeners out there that are listening to this interview. You're four and a half weeks past double hip replacement or bilateral hip replacement. You're already under a squat bar. You're already deadlifting. You're defying the, the laws of Western medicine right now. There's got to be doctors out there just going, what the hell? Everything I've ever thought is not true now. I'm redefining every one of these you know properties of hip replacement. You're doing that right now there's no doubt you're going to make this comeback. So your first show is U90. Is that right? Is that what we're doing? Yep. Um, I'm actually, I'm a lot further along in the progress than I thought I was going to be. So um, I've always really enjoyed the Beast of Bluegrass. That's one of my favorite strongman shows every year. David McCain runs an amazing show. Yeah. Um, that's next month. And I'm going to see how it goes, but I'm kind of leaning towards, I might jump in there, you know, not with the expectation that I usually have where I'm going into win a show, but I kind of want to see how I, how I right. work against the top guys right now and just give me like a primer. It'll be kind yeah, of more test the waters a little bit, get in there, throw some weight around, you know, yep. kind of put yourself, give yourself some limits and just see where you're at. Yeah. It's hard to really push yourself in training hundred percent until you're going hundred percent in a contest. And, you know, hopefully I find something there and I'm like, well, you know, this isn't working as well as it used to. So I need to address that before the big show in August, uh, you know, the clash U90 event. Yeah. And, that will be my first big show back. Which is in Texas, if I'm not mistaken, right? Plano, Texas. That one's, in, that one's actually in Florida. The Texas one is the uh, 64 girls. Oh, 64. That's right. Yeah, he's got a lot of them going on there. So, what, listen, you've had some time in the last, uh, I guess, year and a half since you kind of took your time off to kind of look at this strongman scene as a whole and a lot of these new developments, particularly with Clash and what Anthony's doing. Um, you know, what are you seeing out there? What's the barometer for you right now? Like, what do you? what's the pulse of the community, according to Aaron? I think it's great. You know, what Anthony's doing is beyond amazing. You know, I've known Anthony for years. I think Anthony's a great friend. Um, he's a good person, but you know, you really see somebody's true colors when something like this comes out. And, you know, some people do stuff and you feel like they're doing it for the accolades. They're doing it for, you know, to get their name out there to build right. something. And I honestly believe that he's building this for us. And that makes me want to support this 200%. Um, and I've had a lot of people that, you know, messaged me when it first came out. What do you think about this? Do you think we should? And I said, yeah, you know, yeah. this is fantastic. Why wouldn't you give this a chance? You know, he's actually making it seem like he really cares about us. And I truly believe he does. And that's, that's rare when it comes to some of the big organizations. You know, they're, they want to fill the seats. They want to get as many competitors as possible. They want to, you know, those paid memberships. Look at NAS and USS. They're both great, great uh, organizations. And I have no issue with either one of them. Uh, Willie is a good friend of mine. I love him. Um, and, but you know, that that's a membership based, uh, you know, program where that's where they build their money. Anthony's trying to build this through sponsors, through, you know, ways to help the athlete. I, I really yeah. enjoy it. Yeah. My take on it's the same, man. Um, you know, it's, 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 I don't want to use the word revolutionary because it's not right. It's, it's obvious. And what Anthony's done is did something obvious that the community needed uh, to take the athlete first mentality, uh, put that into these great shows, give not just these heavyweights the platform, getting these great athletes like the U90s and 105s in particular that, in my opinion, 
the better, best athletes in the world, the platform. Yeah, I agree hundred percent. And I've yet to meet anybody that doubts his sincerity, including ourselves. And I always say this on the show, I don't want to be a fanboy, but if you like what somebody's doing and they're doing a fuck of a job with it, uh, yeah, there's no reason I'm not going to preach it to the top of the mountain, man, because that's what's going to grow this sport. Spread the word, grow the sport. And I think that you got to find these people that were willing to, you know, all of us had this idea at some point, you know, right. but nobody jumped with it. You know, I've had this awesome idea to do what he's doing forever, but yeah. I didn't have the balls to take, you know, the first step and, or I didn't know how to, yeah. and he, he took off running with this and he really it's, did. A, it's amazing. And Are like you going down to the clash on the coast? Are you making it down there? I would like to, um, I think right now because of work and whatnot, I probably won't, I was going to go down and defend my world record deadlift. Um, yeah. but that was kind of before I had scheduled the hip surgery. And I'd like to say that I might be ready to pull a big number, but I don't think I could actually pull anywhere near my, my world record 825. So I think that yeah. I'll probably out. I'm glad to hear that, man. I'm glad to hear that. Yeah. You're human. I get it. What about uh, Nick O'Hare? What's your thoughts on your buddy, Nick? I mean, you guys seem to have the best abs in the business. So what's uh, what kind of competition do you and him have? No, he's, he's great. He's an awesome guy. I love, you know, bouncing ideas off him. I love getting, you know, top shop with him when we're at shows. I mean, he's, he's definitely got the second best abs in the U nineties. Um, <laughs> Uh, but no, he's a, he's a great guy. And honestly, any of those guys at the top are great. Yeah. You know, Eli is great. Any of the guys, you know, Devin Reese has been a friend of mine for years. You know, we stay together at Airbnbs together. We compete against each other, but you know, friendship first. It's, yeah, it's a tough one. But when you're, when you're on the field, you're trying to kill these people. You want to crush them. Yeah. Um, yeah. You're done. You, you got to say, man, you did awesome. Like that was amazing. Yeah. Let's go share a beer now and uh, talk about next competition. Cause I'm coming to get you. Yeah. The, the camaraderie there is special, man. We both know it. We've been a part of it for a long time. And uh, it, I think you look forward to shows for two reasons, right. To compete and then to enjoy the rest of the day with the guys that you, you competed against. And again, I, I can't, I've always said it and I'll continue to say it, that's the best thing about our sport by far. Uh, without a doubt. Well, listen, man, uh, I spent about an hour with you this morning and I can spend three hours with you because uh, there's a lot to talk about. And, and we'll get back to that because uh, your comeback to me is going to be something special. I can't wait to see it. Uh, like I said earlier, there's a lot of U90s out there that probably don't want you back. And there's a fair amount of them that are ready for the competition. So uh, thanks for joining me today, Aaron. You got anything else to say? Thanks for having me. I really appreciate it. And you got my number now. So anytime you, you need anything, you, you give me a call. Well, you know, I would have a lot about this hip to be talking to you about over the next 10 or 12 weeks. So you and I will definitely stay in touch. So happy to help. thanks for joining me, man. I appreciate it.